I learned really quickly <laughs> how productivity impacts everything else in our lives. I learned about the importance of well-being um, because ultimately that that's us bringing our best selves to work, to parenting, to life. And there were a lot of things I did really wrong <laughs> that I wish I could go back and do differently. So starting Simple Change was about the realization that businesses are just collections of people. And if we want them yeah. to be their most creative, their most innovative, their most strategic, we need to recognize that they're not machines. And we need to nurture and support their personal well-being as well as their career well-being. Welcome to Leadership Junkies podcast, brought to you by Cardavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. Today is episode 89. Our special guest is Becky Jacobs. The title is Well-Being Leadership, Simple Strategies for Achieving Meaningful Change. Becky is the founder and chief engagement officer of a company called Simple Change, and they are dedicated to improving engagement and productivity by building healthy, high-performing teams. The name says it all. It's about simple change. Make that change and then make that normal and then make another small change. We all know what's going on today, especially during the pandemic. Burnout is perhaps at an all-time high, and well-being is the topic of the day. But what does it really mean? What does it mean to bring well-being into your life as a leader, and more importantly, into your team, your organization, and your culture? Becky is here today to answer those questions and many more. We're going to talk about burnout. We're going to talk about this cool concept of juggling the balls of life, and that most of those balls are crystal balls, except one. Work is the rubber ball that always bounces back. Listen in for more on that. We're going to talk about how important it is for you as a leader to model the behaviors that align with the values and culture that you've stated to your team. We're also going to talk about this question of, are we really building teams today the way they were 20 or 30 years ago? Or is it time to shift our focus away from ours to productivity? This is going to be a rich conversation about leadership, about teams, about performance, productivity, well-being. Get ready to learn more and to grow your team and your life. Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. I'm excited to be back here today, Craig and I, with uh, a friend of Craig's today. Becky Jacobs is with us. She is the founder and chief engagement officer of an organization called Simple Change. Becky has dedicated her career to putting together personal and workplace productivity, successfully leading teams to greater efficiency, well-being, keep that in mind, folks, well-being, and overall impact, thus the Impact Leadership Podcast. She has had a leadership role at senior levels for about 20 years in large organization, multinational companies you might have heard of, Bank of America, Red Hat, Rise Against Hunger, 
She graduated from Old Dominion University with a degree in business management, got her MBA at UNC Chapel Hill. Oh, heels. <laughs> oh, we're going to go. We're going to go blue here. Okay. <laughs> That's right. Carolina blue, not the other. That's blue. right. That's right. I know better. I've been there, done that. No, That's right. Can't go Duke. <laughs> so Becky, welcome to Impact Leadership Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be fun. Yeah. Great to have you. Well, Becky, tell us a little bit about your story that brings you here today. A little bit about my story. Well, you know, as you mentioned, I've been in leadership roles for many, many years. And I've got to say, I, I felt like I had a career path in mind. <laughs> I was in high school. I would drive into downtown Norfolk and say, I want to work up there in that big office building. And I don't know what that means, but that's my goal. <laughs> so somewhat focused career path of continuing to learn and grow and, and build within each organization. And then while I was in the middle of my MBA at Carolina, <laughs> I changed over to Red Hat and took on a global operations role that not only incorporated international travel and a completely different style of leadership, <laughs> uh, but my kids were one in three when I started the program. Wow. So I learned really quickly <laughs> how productivity impacts everything else in our lives. I learned about the importance of well-being um, because ultimately that, that's us bringing our best selves to work, to parenting, to life. And there were a lot of things I did really wrong <laughs> that I wish I could go back and do differently. So starting Simple Change was about the realization that businesses are just collections of people. And if we want them yeah. to be their most creative, their most innovative, their most strategic, we need to recognize that they're not machines. <laughs> and we need to nurture and support their personal well-being as well as their career well-being. Wow, I love that. Well, wow, those are novel concepts that companies are made up of people. <laughs> wow. And it took us how long to figure that out? Decades yeah. and generations. 88 episodes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and to that point, you know, use the phrase that we hear a lot today, which is well-being. And what's interesting, and I don't know, you probably know the timeline, but I've been, I've been in business a long time, just the, the hair and the birth date. But when I think back 20 years ago, I would say 20 years ago, I didn't hear the word well-being. I didn't hear it in the business context. I didn't even hear it in the personal context. People were talking about being healthier, more like physical health, but not well-being. So what is well-being to you today and, and kind of where is it today in business? Well, let me back up to your point about, you know, 20 years ago, we didn't talk about well-being. <laughs> you were focused on work and that was kind of your box. And then when you left work, eventually, when you finally left work, that was everything else. That was life. And we often heard the old adage of, you know, work-life balance is a myth. It's a purple unicorn. It's not real. <laughs> And, you know, frankly, it was often a badge of honor. People mm. would say that as though, you know, I'm saying these words and I'm working these long hours and that's what makes me successful. And I was fortunate really early in my career to have a mentor who mm. said, you know, I notice that your car is here every morning when I come in. And I notice that your car is still here every afternoon, you know, every evening when I leave. And that you're working really long hours. And I was in my early 20s at the time. And I'm sitting there kind of all puffed up like, ha, -ha. 
right? Yes, I am. He said, I bet you think that's a good thing. Oh, and it's crush. Like a moment of, wait, what just happened? Yeah, that's right. But, and he said, you know, the, <laughs> I appreciate how hard you're working, but the first question that comes to mind is, do you have a life? Hmm. Like, do you do anything other than work? Uh, I had the, the privilege of hearing uh, an incredible leader at Bank of America talk about the concept of the five crystal balls that we're always juggling throughout our lives, our health, our family, you know, our, our, all of the, the aspects of life. And then one rubber ball does work. Yeah, yes. Is there, you got to pick and shoot sometimes, right? There are only so many hours in a day. And when you start dropping things like your health, your family, mm. the things that you value most, those things break and in many ways can't be repaired the same mm. way. But that rubber ball, the rubber ball that is work, that will bounce back every time. We don't think it will, <laughs> but it will. So yeah. for me, that, that really started the language around, is it possible to actually have work-life balance? Mm. Um, enter into the MBA program, right? I've got a full-time job, full-time MBA program, and Craig, you know, it is not an easy program, right? No. It's a lot of work. And I had young kids, and frankly, I wasn't willing to not be a mom. Yeah. Right? I had the kids for a reason. I wanted to raise them. Mm -hmm. And I had to start making choices. I had this spreadsheet by the half hour trying to figure out what time oh, wow. do I have and how am I using it? <laughs> because I have to sleep. I have to eat at some point, right? Yeah. I want to spend time with my kids. Do you start getting really, really intentional about how you spend your time? Yeah. So How true. does it relate to wellness? In the past, we would talk about wellness in a work context as heart disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, control medical spend. What yeah. has really evolved over, I would say, the last 10 plus years is the recognition that we bring our whole selves to work. Yes, yes, yes. Right? We bring ourselves as parents. We bring ourselves as children of aging parents. We bring ourselves as financially stable or not. We bring all of this diversity of self to work. Yep. And frankly, our workplaces were trying to kind of make all of that disappear, right? Just, just do this, just be this worker. And we started to realize that it's about so much more than just getting the job done. And frankly, when you ignore the fact that people get exhausted, that you can't just run like a machine. When you ignore that, yeah. you lose that talent, especially diverse talent, especially mothers hmm. and parents of young children who say, you know what? I'm not running this race anymore. I'm exhausted. And frankly, there's got to be more to life than this. Wow. So this is the future of great work. Oh, that is so good. Wow. I, I can't agree with you more. That's one of the things Jeff and I have been talking about a lot is the whole aspect of we, we are bringing our whole selves to work. In fact, we had one CEO on here talking about they welcome the whole CEO to come to work. And it's just really, I mean, I said whole human or whole, did I say whole I CEO? Whole CEO. Say <laughs> they welcome the whole, the whole human to come in. Yeah. Well, so the question I have about that, Becky, is you said, you said we finally figured out that the whole person is coming mm. to work. I'm curious what you're finding in terms of the reach of that belief, because 
our guests, pretty much every guest we have had, and we're at about 90 guests, something like that now, have said some version of that. And virtually every one of them have said, that's not the majority view in how businesses function today. In fact, a guest about a week ago said, yeah, sometimes I wonder, is anybody listening? Because everybody agrees on this, but it's not, it is not the norm in our businesses yet. So what are you seeing? And more importantly, what's still in the way of that? That's a great question. And, and, you know, Jeff, that's a great observation because there are still companies out there who say those things and it's a marketing bumper sticker. Um, what, what we do, the heart of what we do is help companies identify what's actually getting in their way. You say that you want people to take vacations and have breaks and, and feel good about the fact that, Hey, I'm going to go take care of my kids right now. But, and we help them focus in on the, but what are the things that you're saying that make it difficult for people to feel like they can succeed in that organization using these behaviors? Are you sending emails at 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night? Are you calling people and texting on the weekends? Are you just asking a quick question while they're on vacation? Are you sending all of these signals? And those are very specific examples, but are you sending all these signals that we want you to take a break, we want you to recharge, as long as you are available and engaged and paying attention every minute of the day. That's modeling. That's mo- that's modeling. I had an example and I'd love to share this one with you because yeah. this one almost brought me to tears. Um, I was doing a burnout assessment for a company. And a what? A burnout assessment. I've not heard of that before. It oh. sounds obvious, but yeah, tell us more. So they're looking around saying people really seem stressed. I mean, they're mm-hmm. at wit's end, they're exhausted. What, what is going, like, we're trying all these things. What am I doing wrong? So I go in and do the interviews to do a burnout assessment. And this one, this one man said, you know, at some point I'm going to have to choose between my wife and my job. Wow. Because there's an expectation, not stated, it's not in the handbook, but there's an expectation that's implied that you better answer your phone within a matter of minutes, whenever it rings. He said, the phone is sitting between me and my wife at dinner. The phone oh. is on the night table in our bedroom. Wow. The phone is always there. And as a result of that implied expectation, it is more important than whatever it is she's doing or saying. And he said, I went, you know, we went out to dinner the other night and I just, I realized that I just, I just need a few minutes to, eat dinner with my wife without looking at this stupid phone. And he left the phone in his car. How long does it take to eat dinner? Hour, hour and a half. He comes back out and he had multiple text messages and a curious voicemail from his boss asking why he wasn't responding because they needed his response right now. In the evening, outside of work hours. Time it I can't ever leave my phone. And so what was the ramifications for, or once you heard that, how, how did you relate back to the boss at that point? So for one thing, when I do these assessments, I never bring back a person's yeah. feedback. I aggregated, I look for trends. So the feet, one of the pieces of feedback, one of the trends I identified is 
you have no way of distinguishing urgency Hmm. or allowing employees to have personal boundaries. Yes. They have no idea when it's okay to be off, (laughs) which means they are perpetually on and Mm. you never turn down that stress level. There's no recovery. There's no recharge because they can't stop looking Mm. at their phone. So we talked about some strategies for, first of all, making sure you've got backups. Secondly, identifying who's on first, who gets the call. And third, clearly identify when you are off, meaning I don't care where the phone is. It's not your problem. And that will allow employees to have the sense that they do get to have a life as opposed to everything blurring together. Yeah. So Becky, let me ask you something because you, with your story identified a couple things for me and you start off by saying these situations where companies and leaders don't realize what's in the way and the way you told the, the opening before the story sounded like those unconscious things that like they really wanted to get it right. They just didn't see this thing. Yes. But the story you told me, I interpreted differently because what I interpreted is that that person doesn't really care about that. That to me was not a blind spot. That I mean, based on that behavior. Yeah. And I'm curious about like when you go into an organization, the difference between we really want to get it right. Help you help us find the blind spot versus we, is that like a bumper sticker organization? Yes. Well, so first of all, that, that manager, nobody ever wakes up in the morning and says, I'd like for my employees to feel like crap and I'd like for them to not have a life. And I'd like to make sure their marriages are on the brink. No leader shows up doing that. Most of the time they're simply leading the way they see the next level up leading. Yep. And they have no power to really say no. They, they don't feel they have the power to shift the culture. So they have the pressure, so they pass on the pressure. Correct. That's the way we do things, air quotes. Interesting. So I don't think it's intentional to cause harm. And I've never seen anyone say, I, I really like, mm, I want to I get them. They don't realize it. Yeah. Now, your question about intention is different because when I start these assessments, I'm very intentional about one thing. Do not start if you're not willing to deal with the really tough feedback that's going to come out of it and do something differently, mm, do not exactly. this assessment. Fantastic. Do not the first question, do not do that first interview because you're going to make it worse. If you ask what the issues are, if you ask what you're doing, that's contributing to the sense of exhaustion and ignore it, they're going to leave. That's a great point. That's one of the things that we were just talking about yesterday on one of our trainings about tolerance. And Jeff talks a lot about the, the aspect of what you tolerate just determines your culture. Yep. Yeah, that's the same warning I give Becky before they even hire me. Yes. I'll tell them, I'll say, look, I can tell you right now, we're going to unearth some things because there's always things. And I'll tell you, <laughs> do not engage me unless you're willing to be open to change because otherwise it's going to be worse because you will have told them you want to change and then you don't. Oh, I said, just stay silent. If you're not ready to change, just stay silent. I don't want you to do that, but you're better off. And say the same thing. You're going to make it worse. Yeah. So let me ask you, uh, you you carved it into two groups and I guess I see it as three groups. The way I heard it was you got the people, because I agree with you, 
very few people wake up and say, I want to be a jerk today and, and, you know, crush my people. But I think you get the people who really are committed to changing and they're trying to do the right thing, but they've got some blind spots and they need help seeing them and they're pretty quick to change them. Then over here, you have a very small group, this third group that is intentionally, they're just crushers. And it's probably 5% of the leaders are nice narcissists, sociopaths who are like, I don't care and I'm not going to pretend to care. But there's this big group, I think that, I don't know if maybe it's two groups in there. They're not a bumper sticker, but they go like some of the stuff is obvious. And like I had a company a couple of years ago, I think was in this group over here. They really wanted to get it right. And it was an accounting firm. Mm -hmm. And they said, we want to have work-life balance. We monitor their hours. We stop them from working long hours. We only make them have them work, you know, half days on Saturdays during busy season, no more than that. So this sounds really good. And I said, so nobody works on Sundays. And they said, well, the partners work on Sundays. Mm. I said, oh, so in other words, you can have work balance here, but if you want to be a partner, you're not going to have work-life balance. That was a real blind spot. They went, oh my gosh, that's exactly what we're telling them. We got to decide if we're going to change that. So they were in this group of, we want to get it right badly. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of people in the middle that say they want to get it right, but not really. But we still got to get stuff done. (laughs) There is a perception, Craig, your point is very valid. There's a perception that if you aren't like driving people, then you're not going to achieve the same business results. Um, We're noticing, and you've probably seen a lot of articles recently about the pros and cons of remote work, right? Mm -hmm. On the positive side, they're they're finding, hey, people are much more productive. We're getting a lot done. When you start to eliminate the commutes and the trips to the coffee machine and the, you know, the, the business meetings and the lunches that take two hours and all those things. Wow. Like, look how much more time we have to work. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. A On the flip side, um, they're filling every second and people are fried. They're just fried. So what they're finding is I may be working more hours or at least uh, plugged in more hours. I call it the green dot syndrome where you feel like like the little green dot on the top of your screen can't ever show is not available. God forbid yeah, you have yep. a lot. They're, they're working more hours. That doesn't mean, especially with knowledge work, mm-hmm. that you're more creative, that you're more effective, that Absolutely. you're more political. I, I can stare at my screen and I'm a morning person, by the way. <laughs> my screen at four or five, six o'clock at night for hours and never. <laughs> I'm brain dead, right? Yep, that is yep. not the time I'm effective. But I tell you what, eight o'clock in the morning, bang it out, done. Yeah. It's a change in our approach and understanding that hours doesn't equal results, yes. especially for knowledge workers. Yes. And at the point of diminishing returns. And that takes both science, right, and proving it for them to see my employees are getting more done when I pull back a bit. To me, one of my most productive times is on a long walk. Oh, yeah. That's when the, the ideas are popping or if I'm around some, some moving water or something like that. They're just these zones, right? And so if I'm cramped in the office all the time, I'm really sub-optimizing my, my work. 
let's talk about that idea of productivity. You said something really profound there, Becky, and I'm <laughs> curious what solution you found. I remember many years ago, but I know it's still very true today. I asked the leader of an organization almost that exact question. I said, why don't you assume that you determined that one of your people was producing as better than everybody else yes. and producing more profit even than mm -hmm. anybody else, but they were doing it in 70% of the time. Mm. What'd you do with that person? <laughs> he said, you know, honestly, <laughs> said I, I would try and get more out of that person and basically <laughs> say, if you go at 100%, we can get even more. He goes, but boy, that's, my, that's what I think I would do, but that's not really fair. I'm basically making them, because they're better, they have to do more because they're the best. Man, that is what I would do. And I think that's still a very hmm. typical mindset. We're hiring you for the 40 hours you're working, well, 50 hours or whatever that is, right? So you know, it comes down to the time. But, I mean, it's, it's like if I'm hiring a contractor, do I want to hire a contractor and pay them hourly? Or do I want to hire a contractor and pay them by the project, you know, by the work content that gets done? I'd much so rather pay for what gets done. Difficulty of our current structure, yeah. right? 40 hours a week is based on Henry Ford. <laughs> right. It's based on three eight-hour shifts equal yeah. your factory not stopping. And that is the most a human can work before their quality deteriorates. Mm. And it allows them a day to kind of refresh the factory. It's not based on knowledge work. <laughs> that's a great point people face they're like why am i so tired at two and three o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> because you're a human and when you're doing knowledge work especially when you're focused so intently on a screen yeah. when your brain has to work that much harder to pick up on body language and cues mm. you exhaust your mental energy but we're so yeah. focused on this archaic idea of eight hours a day and beat ourselves up over like, have, I've got to work another hour. Why? Yeah. Why? I get, I get so much more done when I manage my energy mm -hmm. and adjust what I'm doing in a day to fit the times I'm most effective and productive mm -hmm. and make use of what I call a productive pause. Yeah, absolutely. Me, stepping away to fold a load of laundry is where my brain finally rests and I come back and I can push through. A yeah. midday walk means mm -hmm. that thing I've been staring at, I suddenly know how to fix. Right. It means the ideas come to my head. But if you're working in this traditional like billable hour situation, can I bill you for my walk? That's where I came up with the idea. But I can bill you for sitting in front of the computer for twice as long, staring at the screen <laughs> because I had to fit in an eight hour day. That's the, that's the challenge that we face as leaders is saying, okay, what are my assumptions based on, right? And yeah. is there a different way to do this? And frankly, think about it from an employee perspective. Would you like to work for an employer that's staring at their watch the second you walk in? Because we <laughs> at 8.05. Like, let's be honest with ourselves. Nothing happens between 8 o'clock and 8.05. And I have to be there a certain number of hours a day. And every time I leave my desk, you're going, uh-huh, what are you doing? Where are you going? Crazy. As compared to, you know what? You're a grown-up. 
here's what needs to get done. Let's yes. talk about what you need, how you're most effective. How do you do your best work? Where are you going to stay? Yeah. Where are you going to give 110%? Now, what is the impact of that business owner? I remember when, you know, back in the days of actually being in an office, uh, being in my office and feet up on the desk, kind of sitting back and just kind of staring at the, at the ceiling. And somebody walks, walks up to the office. It's like, what are you doing? I said, Oh, I'm thinking. <laughs> I was like, this is what I get paid for folks. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I wasn't focused on the screen. Yeah. So Becky, I think these are tied together. I want to talk about a, an epic failure. And I'm sure you're familiar with this. I can't get the timeline right, but there was a time, I'm going to say in the 70s, 80s, maybe 90s, pre-computer time, pre-easy access to computer, the prediction was that technology would, and by now, we're past the time, that we would be working shorter work weeks <laughs> and being more productive than we were. And we are not working shorter work weeks. Our work weeks have gotten longer. And across all spectrum, uh, except maybe some of the super industrialized where they've stuck with the 40 hours and overtime. So who is this a leadership failure? Is this an organization? What's the failure here? We didn't achieve the objective. Or maybe it wasn't the objective. It was a prediction. Well, so, so part of it is you're talking about culture shift. And organizations are simply collections of people. Often the leaders who are in those positions right now had to suffer through all of those long hours. They had to pay their dues. And frankly, often you turn around, look and say, I had to do it, right? It clearly works. Look at me. That's how I manage. I'm doing what I've seen other people do. There's an opportunity, opportunity to learn and grow. And I think as you see more and more of the next generation stepping into these leadership roles, they're saying, wait a minute, what? Yeah. No. <laughs> they're willing to challenge. It, it's, I mean, technology has allowed us to become more productive in some ways. I think in other ways, it, it's getting in the way and making things significantly less efficient. Mm -hmm. Right. How many times do you email the person in an open office sitting five feet away from you as opposed to having a conversation? Right. right? How, how often do you use instant messenger or, or you know, I am tools, a Slack, as opposed to just saying, Craig, let's let's sit down and chat for a few minutes, because I think we're not hearing each other. Right. So I think in some ways we let technology get in the way. But, you know, Jeff, to answer your question, it, it's technology has changed the way we work. Remember the fax machine? Things just go faster. It, and so it, we can do more, right? But we keep filling in the time. Yeah. Yep. And frankly, if at the very top of the organization, if you don't understand the importance of well-being, the importance of giving people time to recharge, then you're going to keep leading the way you've always seen it done. And or you're if gonna we gave them choices and said, you know what? You can work the traditional 40 hours and this is how much we'll pay you if you want to work 30, 35 hours. And this is what the pay structure is going to be. What are people going to choose? So there's a, that's a cop out though. That's, that's <laughs> basically saying we're going to adjust our may our compensation and reward system and keep the same mindset. Yes. I'm going to pay you less if you work less. Here's a difference though. Um, 
often in those arrangements, and I've heard this, it, 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 it's typically from, from working mothers, frankly, mm -hmm. um, sometimes from working fathers, but you'll, you'll often hear, okay, I just, I can't, I can't do these hours. I still want to be here. I still want to contribute. I have a lot to give. Yeah. I can't do 60 hours a week. Like, great. No problem. Understand. We don't want you to leave. Let's do a part-time schedule. Can you do 30 hours a week? I have yet to hear anyone say that they both didn't get more done in 30 hours a week than they used to get done in 60 <laughs> and resented the fact that now I'm getting paid less to work my tail off and achieve the same results yeah. because it goes back to that hours mentality. Yeah. I think that's I really the deficit. Ultimately, there's some level of me measurement and some people saying, you know, this is fair, that's fair. What, when you look at the organizations you've worked with in the past, either directly or as a consultant, what are some examples, uh, and you, you may or may not name, name the companies, but what are some <laughs> examples of some innovative workforce um, efforts? Uh, so I think one of the more innovative that I've seen is just the recognition that as a leader, you don't have to solve the problem. <laughs> Um, right. often, often leaders say, okay, tell me all the issues and then I'll come up with the answer. Yep. Monkey's and, on my back now. Exactly. I'm like, well, wait, you don't actually have to solve it. You have to listen and you have to create a, a, a culture where people can contribute to the answer. And you have to make a final decision. Yeah. I find that, um, by letting the employees, the staff be part of coming up with ideas. There's both more buy-in and, frankly, better ideas. Sounds like Ma Bell's class. I, I <laughs> so here's an example, right? Um, I had a I will not name the client, but I had a client that said, you know, I we keep throwing all these, you know, we're trying this benefit and that benefit and this perk, and we give this survey and people fuss about the littlest things. Yep. Okay. And one of the things they're complaining about is the new floor plan went to an open office. I'm like, okay, well, I'll give you 8,000 articles that explain why they're complaining, but go ahead, talk to me about this. Anyway, they, they kept hearing that it's distracting. So they would go and get everyone headphones. I'm oh. like, okay, uh, is that what's distracting? So as we worked with the employees to kind of dig deeper, we identified that you've taken away all the visual barriers so now it's visually distracting. You've taken away all the things that absorb sound. So now things are echoing every time someone comes in and you've shoved us all into this smaller space. So there's more people, therefore more noise, et cetera, et cetera. What they really wanted was, can we create some flexible hours and work schedules so that I don't have to do the work that requires me to intensely focus? Sitting in a room surrounded by 15 people. Yep. Like you don't need headphones. You need flexibility. So, you know, Jeff, your question about how, what are some of the, the innovative answers? Frankly, every company is different. And the more you engage your employees in coming up with solutions and ideas, the more you're going to not only empower them, but that's where you get retention and yeah. buy-in and dedication and performance. But if you ask, what should we, what should we actually expect would be done? If you ask what? If, if we ask what they want, mm -hmm. sh should we actually do it? 
setting parameters. This is where the facilitation of that discussion is really important. If you say, what can we do differently? What do we like if you're opening Pandora's box, right? Not right. Like, oh shoot, what are they gonna say? <clears throat> but be specific, right? We've identified concerns about uh, distraction at work. Mm -hmm. We've identified that, you know, that this these shifts are hard to to adjust to. Help me understand what was what's different about the way you work. What was it like before? What is it like now? How often does it impact you? Um, how does it impact you? But if you're digging down and being specific within the, that realm, it's not just what do you want. It's what are the challenges you're facing and how does this impact mm, you? Yeah. And what ideas do you have in that box? Yeah, right. <laughs> not well, I think like redesign. I think you've identified a simplicity and a complexity at the same time. <laughs> yes. I had a client I worked with recently. It was supposed to be about change and they don't really have a strong change culture, although leadership thinks they do disconnect. <clears throat> they did a survey the year before I was there and people said that the survey was, tell us what you want. Yeah. And they came up with a list that were things that were very tangible and easy to describe but they didn't get into the rich conversation of what's going on because that would have required conversations and real, just sit down and have a dialogue, which you can't have if you don't have high trust. Mm -hmm. You got to have a lot of trust for people to be willing to share that. So what was happening is the leadership was senior leadership said, we gave you what you wanted and they gave them most of the things on the checklist. Like you want healthier snacks in the snack room. You want to have this, but this other stuff, didn't get addressed. So the team is saying you didn't really change. Leadership is saying we gave you what you wanted, but they never had that conversation that requires some vulnerability to sit down and say, tell us what's really going on and and what would what's different for you. Not what you I love what you said. It's not they don't know what they want. They know this is how it's impacting them. Yeah. They don't know the solution. And you know, frankly I, I often find that it, those surveys, although they can be a, a source of metric, right? Before, after comparison, there's a reason I do my assessments with one-on-one -on -one interviews. Yes, absolutely. There's, I mean, because the reality is, first of all, it's how you ask the question and what mm -hmm. question you ask, yeah. right? Do you know what it is we're, get, we're trying to dig, what, trying to understand, but it creates psychological safety when mm -hmm. Feedback is confidential. No one ever knows who said what, right? I, I get to things where I'm thinking, there are times I'm, I'm writing notes thinking, uh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, ooh. Yeah. I'm like, ooh, all right. But frankly, until you get to the root cause, you can do initiatives all day long. Yeah. You're not going to fix it. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Leadership Junkies podcast is brought to you by Cartevera. Cartevera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartevera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cartevera.com. Welcome back. Well, you talked about measures. Let's come back to that, Chris. Craig, you mentioned it earlier. I personally believe there's a laziness 
I'll call it laziness, in organizations and leadership about measures. Because we all know it's important to measure, so we tend to measure the stuff that's easy to measure, like how many hours did you work? You know, what's your productivity? Well, I don't know how to measure that. So we're, we stick with the things that are easy. And some of these things are more difficult to measure, or they can only be measured by some other measure over here that's indicative versus conclusive. Yes. So what are you seeing in terms of organizations, the challenges they face around the whole measurement idea? You know, and that's, that's where I think the concept of well-being gets fuzzy for most leaders, right? How do I know it's working? So can you can you have measures around this? Absolutely. You heard of Gallup, <laughs> they, <laughs> well enough, right? So you know the concept there is there there is there's tons of data, especially from companies like Gallup, that have measured back using consistent questions, tested over time, etc. I've also seen some really simple, less expensive tools that do a pulse check. Maybe it's one question a week or five questions a month that'll take you all of a minute and a half to answer. And you're just trying to get a baseline and quickly identify, whoa, what, hold it, wait, come out, something's not on track, right? Is it working? But at the end of the day, there, there are other types of measures that aren't directly like, are you happy or not? Well, depends on when you ask me, right? If you ask me at five o'clock in the afternoon, I'm probably likely to go, <laughs> You ask me at eight o'clock in the morning, I'm ready. Let's do it. Well, I was just thinking, you know, if, if you actually measure the smiles coming in and the smiles going out, right? Are people coming in happy to work and yeah. leaving or are they leaving happy to go home? Well, I mean, you can still be happy to go home, but, you know, you, you see what I'm saying. Running away from the office screaming or are you? Yeah, right. <laughs> work? Yeah, exactly. So, so, it's interesting you say the smiles, Craig, because I think. Part of the challenge is we have a culture in the U.S. at least that work sucks and it's supposed to suck because I, think about this. How that. Well, but, but let me tell you how prevalent we know it is. How many yeah. people walk around? Millions. Oh, yeah. hundreds no, I, totally. say, Thank God it's Friday. Yep. That phrase tells us work sucks. Absolutely. I can't wait for the weekend because I got to get, get away from work. I'm getting away from work and oh my God, it's Monday. We have a Wednesday, a hump day. That means the week's halfway over. So most of our cultural yeah. messages in that realm, that work is the bad part of our life. And we got to get back to our life because it's not looking at the whole. It's so sad. It's a message. You know, it, it's interesting. There are, I think the question is, is it the work or is it the work culture? Yeah. Oh, I think it's the work culture. It, it is. I mean, it's I, the work I culture. Well, we'll say, I love what I do. I, I'm good at my job. Like, I don't love all of it, right? I, I don't want to do expense reports or whatever, but I'm in a job where I'm good at it and I like yeah. it. There's a reason I'm here. And I think that, that what you're hearing that hump day and the Friday and the has more to do with, we create this idea that you have to work 10, 12 hours a day to be successful. Yeah. It's not that they don't enjoy their jobs. It's that they're human and your body can only take so much but you know go back i'm sorry go ahead yeah well, just so, so if, if you go back jeff are you going to go back and, and be an attorney again um no because i learned i didn't love it exactly but and i'm a so, unicorn i'm a unicorn though 
I'm still a unicorn in this culture, except for the newer generation. If you look yeah. at people 40 and over, I'm a unicorn. You don't walk away from a successful career in a business you own because you don't like it. Yeah. That's a rare bird that does that. How do I I'm know that? It, lawyers? I'm seeing it more and more often, actually. I am too. Lawyers, the, the statistics still, let's go with lawyers. The statistics still today, I left the practice 19 years ago. 50% of lawyers wish they were doing something else. Sure. And most of them will not do something new because they feel trapped by the profession. And those, those words, I think there's so much generational carryover because all those words happened in, as when I was an adult. And now I'm 61 years old, and those are still the phrases that we're using. And I think part of it is, I agree with you, we need a break, but Thank God it's Friday didn't come up in the last 10 years. It came yeah. up 40 years ago right? when work was not supposed to be about what you like. If you said 40 years ago, I got to find something I love, they told you were nuts. They said, get to work and get a job and take care of your family because that's how I was raised. That's how my father was raised. And the new generation is different and I love it. But what I wonder is, and Craig, you said this earlier, and I'd love to hear your feedback, Becky. Craig, you said, the newer generation is more willing to speak up and challenge. I'm curious if that's true or are they more likely to just leave mm. and they're going to speak with their feet without challenging because it's easier. So one of the differences though is because we have technology, because we have these norms, I mean, you think about social media, right? How many people are out there saying things behind the veil of social media that they would never say out loud? Right. <laughs> so I think there, there's a, a shift in the culture of having some courage behind anonymity. Um, some, right. I'm not going to say it's a ma massive pivotal shift, but I do think from what I'm seeing in, in organizations, millennials as a, as a group are generally more willing to share some feedback, to voice their concerns, and to at least not have. 20 years of history making them feel like they should be afraid to say something. Yeah. They haven't gone like they're just now experiencing and, and talking more about discrimination and equity and inclusion. Yep. But you know, for, for those of us that have been in the workforce for many years, I mean, you just kind of shut up and do your job heads down. And that culture is starting to break. And I'm yeah. so thankful for it. Mm -hmm. But they're also speaking up about things like, I this is blah. I don't want to work. <laughs> 12 hours. Yeah. I want to be an attorney. That's great. But wait, why do you have to work 60 hours a week to be a partner? And then you see firms that are doing it differently, mm -hmm. where it's not about billable hours, where they do project-based work or they do, you know, retainer-based work. And they're able to get those attorneys, the women, you got other forms of diversity, the parents mm -hmm. who say, I actually like being an attorney. I did this on purpose. I just don't want to do it in that old stodgy model where yeah. you're going to judge me based on I'm successful if I don't ever have a life because I'm stuck in front of my computer all day. Right. Yeah. Well, I, th I think we won't know for another 10 or 15 years, but I think the you raised this earlier, people leading the way they were led and by the same mindset. And I think we've still got a ways to go for that mindset to be cleared out by sort of attrition versus people getting it and making a new decision. Because you look at who's leading, like I applaud, it's called, let's just speak of millennials who are ready to step in those leadership roles that may see it differently, 
but they're unless they started the company, they're not the CEO. The CEO is still 45, who's got this, maybe that same mindset. I'd love to see us change because we want to change versus the old thinking died out. And I think it's a little of both. And I, I, I'm, I'm curious, this other thing popped in my head. You mentioned Gallup. Mm-hmm. I was on a call yesterday with a guy. I want to go research it. I haven't had time. But he was saying that during COVID, what happened to the Gallup numbers were for a short period after the COVID started, the engagement levels actually went slightly up to a new record. I think mm-hmm. in 2019, they hit a new record at like 30% or 20 Well, hang on a second, though, because I learned something about how that's not as it's a bad number, but it's not a horrific number, even the 30 because of the bell curve. Okay. because of the bell curve. But it went up slightly because everybody was looking out for everybody. And by the end of the year, it was at the all time low. Engagement went to an all time low this year. These companies going, we're doing great, except your people are not happy. And it's starting to come back hard to come back a little bit. And now it's falling again because hmm. people are exhausted. Mm-hmm. They're exhausted physically, mentally, emotionally, psychically, yep. whatever bucket is fear. Yes. And to me, that is leaders' opportunity and, frankly, obligation to take care of your people's well-being. And that number to me says we are failing at well-being this year. Uh, and in general, not everybody. Yes, and um what we're facing as a as a society right now is, I mean, how many times have you heard unprecedented and all the the plot? <laughs> but yes, I mean, it, people are facing a dramatic shift in work, and it's not just that we've gone remote; we have eliminated a lot of social connection. We've introduced political discord that is yeah. now able to seep into all aspects of our lives. And racial discord with their kids right next to them, or they're overwhelmed with worry about their children being left behind. Yeah. They're seeing aging parents in, in, you know, community centers where you can't, you can't even touch them. You can't hug people. Right. So, you know, is this a failure of leadership? Not necessarily. However, uh, in many cases, people also aren't disconnecting. They're not taking breaks. They're becoming more and more isolated. And frankly, you know, you, you, you saw that initial wave of virtual happy hour, right? This is great. And then, God, another Zoom call? Seriously? <laughs> right. I'm, I'm out, right? I just can't. I don't think that's necessarily a failure of leadership as much as an indication of the, the cycle of grief in many ways, the cycle of exhaustion. The failure, though, is that so many people aren't taking vacations. So many people are working a full-time job and then being a full-time parent at the same time. And a teacher. And a teacher. And there's no, there's no margin. There's no downtime. From the second you wake up to the second you pass out at the end of the day, you are on. You don't have your commute. You don't have lunch with friends. You don't have your social networks. Your kids are stressed. So and you can't get away from them. You never get away. <laughs> like they're always there. So I don't think it's a, a failure per se, but I think it's an opportunity to step up and realize that we have to be more intentional about helping people find ways to recharge and step yeah. away. And Let's I see. don't think 
So one thing, just to go back to one of the earlier points about, you know, is, do we just have to wait for leaders to age out and die out? <laughs> People are leaving and finding those companies. They're actively seeking them out where I can do a great job and so I think what you're going to see isn't just a dying out of people and wait for them to age out. You're seeing people vote with their feet saying, these are the companies I want to work for. Yep. And that's where you'll see the pivot because you won't be able to hire talent. People say, oh, shoot, I don't work there. You kidding? Are you kidding me? I have to sit in this office. I, I have to be here at eight in the morning. I can't leave till six o'clock at night. And that sounds awful. Because they don't trust me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They don't treat me as a professional. Well, I guess my bar on leaders is high because sure. everything you said, I mm -hmm. still say it's a failure because to me, leaders had an opportunity in 2020 in their organization to be the place that their people felt taken care of yes. and to acknowledge all those ripple effects and to be more open, more compassionate. So they said, wow, I'm feeling isolated, but boy, my company's got my back. They're not going to report being less engaged. They're going to say, I'm engaged because they really showed how much they cared about me. And what I've told leaders this year is if you led in 2020, not the decisions you made, but if you led in 2020, the way you did in 2019, then you failed your people because yeah. they needed more from you this year. And you either gave them more or you gave them the same. And that to me is where I see the failure of the opportunity to step up and really, really say, I care about your well-being so much that I'm gonna find a way to make this different. And, and, and let's talk about it because I don't have all the solutions. Right. Yeah. Well, we often talk about balancing productivity and compassion. And one of the issues I think leaders face is, um, we assume that you just magically know how to do this. <laughs> right. Leaders have had to pivot as well, right? And they're yeah. just, we're all human. So I, I don't know that it's reasonable to say you just magically like we can look hindsight and say, oh, if we had done X, Y, and Z, but in the moment, leaders were simply humans that were going through the same thing. And not only were they dealing with all of the personal, all of the job related, in many cases, I saw them absorbing the stress of their team. Yeah. HR leaders were probably the hardest hit. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Right? Yeah. I mean, their job just exploded overnight many, many are female with kids at home, but look mm. at the job itself. Now you've got new leave policies. You've got safety precautions. You've got, can I come oh, into yeah. the office? You've got, you know, EAP programs. You've got all of these pieces. And I think sometimes we forget that leaders are just another employee in many cases, unless you're the CEO yeah. and they're struggling just as much as everybody else. Yeah. Well, I do I want uh, to circle back to one other thing that we were talking about earlier, and that was the millennials. And, you know, I guess as I look at raising millennials, the things that I told them, I wonder if that's outside the norm. You know, I'm guessing that you're in the same place, Becky. When I entered my program, I had a one-year-old and a four-year-old. You had a one-year-old and a three-year-old. Um, and when we're, we're looking at that, and I'm, I'm telling my kids, you know, you need to seek something that you really enjoy, not, not just something that pays the bills, right? Yeah, you, you need to do that, but you want to find something that you really enjoy. How much are they getting that from the parents and how much is that just coming from the culture around them? 
That's a good question. So I've, I've read recently a lot about millennial burnout, and that's mm -hmm. one of the things that uh, is has been suggested as a contributor is that feeling of if I'm not doing something I love, I must be doing it wrong. Um, my message to my kids is a little bit different. It's living wage. <laughs> like you have to be employable to the point yeah. where you're not living in my basement because you can't come back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and whatever you pick, you have the right to change your mind. Yeah. You don't have to know now. I have an 18 year old. He's a senior in high school. Yep. You know what? You're going to pick something and you got a 50 50 shot. It could be something you absolutely love. You could get two years in and go, crap. Okay. Change. You're not yep. a tree. Move. And, and try it out. You know, talk to people who are actually doing it before you go spend four years studying something that you may not like. Yeah. Well, be careful who you talk to, though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. generationally, too. Yes. You got to talk to someone in that profession who's 55. Pretty good to tell. They're going to say it's a great profession. It served my family well. And they're not even going to know what you're talking. There's a good chance it's a different converse, conversation. It's a good, great point. Yeah. So that's where, you know, we can leverage our networks for our children to, to meet the people that can help. So, you know what, you're, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to, yeah, yes, right. And you're going to regret it. You're going to have to pivot. You're going, you know, you're going to fail at things just like everybody else does. Yep. And you may be right. Figure it yeah, out. That's a great message, Becky. Right. Becky, I'd love to get your perspective on one more thing as we get wrapping up. We I don't think we've used this word today. It comes up in a lot of our episodes. I know it comes up in a lot of Craig in our conversation, which is what does it mean to be a vulnerable leader? Mm. And where I see this playing out is a quick example. I had lunch with someone this week, um, just age-wise to give context. It might be relevant. He's late fifties. And he said, I was talking to my lawyer the other day. My lawyer's awesome. He's killing it. His, He's in, in his career, not just financially successful, he's really good at what he does. And this lawyer said to him, I got to tell you, more than ever in my life, I am so stressed out. Mm. I am, have so much anxiety I've never had before, even though business is thriving. Everything is good in my life, but I have a lot of anxiety. And this guy said to him, well, maybe you're depressed. And I'm not saying he is or isn't, but I think what might have, one of the things that happened this year is I think being able to pivot emotionally to support our people differently required a level of vulnerability that a lot of leaders weren't at. And now we're at a tipping point is what's going to happen going forward because the lesson got learned and because they were going through it too and they didn't know how to do it. And a lot of them sucked it up, which is what leaders have been taught to do. So speak to how you see vulnerability and leadership playing into this whole idea of well-being or the absence of a commitment to well-being? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, honestly, I feel like vulnerability is at the heart of it. Being willing to um, be transparent with, and it doesn't mean you have to go around and tell people, hey, my marriage is like this and my, you know, you don't have to go airing all your dirty laundry. But I think part of vulnerability is just showing up as human. Hmm. And this has been, God, this has been a tough week, right? I'm really struck. What ideas do you have? But making more of that human connection as opposed to, I think a lot of leaders have the sense that I have to have all the answers and I always have to come across as confident and, you know, I, I have to be on my A game and it's okay to demonstrate to people that you're human. The other part of that 
is I think leaders more and more need to be open about modeling well-being. Um, I can't tell you how impressed I am when a senior leader is willing to say, you know what, guys, I, I'm going to take two weeks off and I've never done it, but I, God, I need it. I'm just yeah. exhausted and I know I'm not showing up as my best self. I know I'm being snippy and that's not how I want to be. So I need to take a break. And I, I really want you guys to think about that for yourselves. You know, I, I need exercise. Wow, this pandemic has meant that now I can run at lunch. Oh my gosh, I feel so much better, right? So I think that's part of that vulnerability is being willing to say, I'm human and I recognize that you're human too. And it opens the conversation when people don't feel like you're coming across as I'm perfect, I have all the answers, right? Everything's good, everything is awesome. <laughs> But I think that's critical to leadership yeah. and seeing it more. And frankly, I think the pandemic has made it almost expected finally to show up as a human being and acknowledge that other people are human too. That dog in the background, the kids, <laughs> sitting you, the, right? Just kind of saying, ah, you're human. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. Thank you for being honest about it. Yeah. That's, I think that's a great closing point. And uh, thank you, Becky. You've, You've shown me some new perspectives, some new ideas, some different ways to look at things, some things I'd never thought of before, which is why I love doing this. Yep. Um, we always want our, our guests to have an opportunity to share something they're focused on or promoting right now. So what is that for you? Uh, you know, honestly, we, we, you can always go to simplechange.com and learn more about what we do. But my, my main interest right now is helping people understand that you can create a healthy culture. Yes and create a workplace where you are achieving your business results, where you're successful and <laughs> have a life and yeah. take breaks and take vacations. And you can have honest conversations about capacity and priorities. <laughs> so for me, that, that's what's really most important right now is, is helping organizations and leaders figure out how to start to, to shift within their own organizations to value organizational health because it will impact the bottom line but more importantly that's what's going to impact our broader community when we have people who can be both a great employee and a great contributor to the community we live in awesome love that thank you becky and so you mentioned the website is that the best way for people to connect with you or are there other ways that's always the best way that that shows you all of the ways you can schedule time to chat with me. You can check out our social media. You can, you know, send an email, whatever, however works best, but always open to uh, a conversation. Awesome. So we always figure with a finish. We always finish with a couple of signature questions. And one of them for you, Becky, is the book. I emphasize capital T, the book. The book. If you're going to tell somebody one book among the thousands, what's that book? Well, you know, that was that was both a really fun question that got me excited and a really hard question because yeah. I, I generally read between two and four books a month. I love reading it. It just it fuels me. And I had to stop and think, okay, what's that one book that I wish I had read 20 years ago that would have made a massive difference personally and professionally? And I don't know if you're familiar with the work by uh, Sheila Heen, H-E-E-N, and Douglas Stone. Um, the book is called Difficult Conversations. Oh, yes. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Um, her follow-up to that was, thanks for the feedback. It's the, the <laughs> feedback well. Um, so I kind of cheated and named two of them. But, you know, at the end of the day, so much of the difficulty we face in life is because of communication. It's either yes. I'm receiving it in a way that isn't helpful. I'm communicating in a way that you can't hear me. I, I read that book and just sat there the whole time thinking, where has this been all my life? Yeah. <laughs> Did anyone tell me this? So I teach people now and I teach leaders and teams on how to do some of this, but I wish I had known this 20 years ago, how to communicate. Oh, I, lo I love that. I, and I, the only thing, I, the only challenge I have is with the title in yeah. that, like when I talk to leaders now and they say, well, I have to have this difficult conversation. I said, that's a horrible label. Yeah. Like as soon as you label it, you just basically all the fear and stress and anxiety went yeah. up. Yes, you have new tools, but. It, can we find a better word? Um, difficult, yeah. but anyway. So yeah. the other question is wisdom. And we all define that differently. But what's that wisdom bomb you want to drop on us today? It is the slide that I put at the end of almost all of our presentations. And it's on our uh, the coffee cups that we make. Can't pour from an empty cup. <laughs> That's great. Pour from an empty cup. How many <laughs> That's great. Do we just keep pushing and pushing and as parents yeah, pushing and pushing and giving and it's how much more and more email and more on the task list and more, 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 more. At some point, the cup is empty. There's yeah. nothing else in there. We forget that you have to fill up, whether that's doing something that excites you, doing something that challenges you, physical, like exercise, fueling your body with what you eat, drink, and think about, you can't pour from an empty cup. And we know when it's, we know when it's getting empty. So it's we? <laughs> we feel it and yeah. we ignore it or we numb yeah. ourselves or we plop in front of the TV and watch Netflix or we either so many unhealthy coping mechanisms, but <laughs> right. you can't pour from an empty cup. Yeah. That's so well, good. I'm going to do something I don't think I've done on this in our podcast, I'm going to ask you a follow-up question Ooh, because, uh -oh. because uh -oh. I love that. And, and my experience has been, because another version of that is people always talk about how on the airplane, they tell you, put your own oxygen mask on first, all that. The most typical answer I hear to that statement is I know, I know, I know. And people <laughs> do know it, but do? still a lot of people don't do it. Yeah. yeah. What's, is there a nugget that they can go for? The, what's the next step? beyond I know that, what do they have to get past to actually do it? So there's a reason the business is called simple change. <laughs> when people think about, you know, I need to, I should, I have to, like, first of all, that's just guilt and shame is yep. all that is. Right. Just pick one thing, right? If it, it's, maybe it's adding a piece of fruit to your breakfast every day. Maybe it's walking five minutes, but often people don't start because they make it this big, massive thing. I have to become magically healthy in perfect shape, right? 0% body fat, all, all the things. And if I do it once, I have to do it for the rest of my life. <laughs> right? Well, we're not, we're not broken. This is simply a journey. Yeah. Just pick one simple change. And once that becomes normal for you, pick another and then another. 
So when we talk about what's getting in our way, we're getting in our way. Because yes. we this oh, yeah. thing. Tell me, honestly, you can't spend five minutes to walk? <laughs> if somebody came to you and said, you know, hey, Craig, I, I really need to talk to you. Can you spare five minutes? Would you ever tell them no? We say no to ourselves all the time. No, 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 too busy. One more email. Really, five minutes? So that, was, that would be my advice is pick one simple change, do it until it's normal and pick another. And yeah, I, just, I love that. I think yeah. it is so simple. My last book was called Just One Step. So it aligns with that. And yeah. I know one of the examples on this podcast today was the person who took two weeks vacation. And I think to your point, Becky, maybe the start is pick a day. I, I remember this was challenging when I started doing this and that's how I beat the legal system. I found balance in the law because I took the little steps, but I took them intentionally. Like when I took time, I took time off during the week, even though I often work weekends, to say, I'm going to take a Friday morning off and turn off my phone for a couple hours, which was hard. That was like, oh my God. But doing those small steps and saying, nope, nobody died. The world didn't end. Yeah. And oh boy, they didn't need me anymore. And they, they, nice they can get along without you. They did. It was shocking. I couldn't believe they would. Yep. I'm so full wow. of myself. Well, so thank you, Becky. Yeah. yeah. This is good fun. I had fun. Yep. Right? Becky? Success. It's a win. Thank <laughs> you all. If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartevera Tribe. The Cartevera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartevera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartevera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.